that we see right now, and we had seen even at, at the end of last year, are being accelerated by what you and I are going through with this COVID crisis. And that's the younger generation coming in wants things to be a lot more personalized. They really don't want to be educated. They don't want to know how does Monte Carlo work and what's a capital market assumption. They just want an answer like, do I have enough money? Am I safe now that the market went down and now it's coming back up? How much can I spend? 30 years ago, Mark Hoffman's first startup was an alternative trading and execution platform. This was a daunting task considering that even the fastest supercomputers in the world then couldn't run an Xbox game today. But he and his partners leveraged that technology to implement one of the world's first electronic trading networks. They sold that company back in 1996, but a valuable lesson learned was always ensure that your systems are able to provide an answer to your client's most important questions. Mark carried that mindset forward to his current company, LifeYield, where their cloud-based software is available 24-7 to answer clients' questions about optimizing income in retirement. I spoke to Mark about his career before LifeYield, how gamification helps improve client behavior, and much, much more on this episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast. And thanks for joining me here in the wonderful world of wealth tech. This is the Wealth Management Today podcast, and I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, and I run a consulting company called Ezra Group. We help wealth management firms and wealth tech vendors make better business and technology decisions through our advice and research. And on this podcast, I speak with some of the smartest people in the industry who are on the leading edge of technology and innovation. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on iTunes and share across your local social media networks. I really appreciate it. Thanks. And uh, on this episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast, I'm happy to announce um, I'm speaking with Mark Hoffman, the co-founder and CEO of LifeYield. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Craig. Very nice for you to have me. I'm glad you could make it. So glad. I'm glad we worked out our technical difficulties. You know, it's interesting that you know, this is something we were going through before, trying to figure out what uh, what video chat or what video conferencing technology will work with everyone, with your VPN, with our systems. And you know, it's we as a as a consultant, we work with a lot of different companies, and we're we're always cycling through. Join me and WebEx, and you know, uh, we use Zoom and uber conference and there's always someone with something that doesn't work and when you bring a lot of different people in it it's always a problem i don't know if you guys have that same problem with you guys with on in your company uh, apparently my cto doesn't like zoom unfortunately mm. um so it's glad you could accommodate by getting on teams yeah we're going to give a plug to microsoft teams uh <laughs> no no uh, no uh, sponsorship here just giving a plug we're using teams here great so so mark can you give us a the 30 second elevator pitch for lifefield Yes. So LifeYield was something that started over 10 years ago with my partners. Um, we'd always been in the investment management or the electronic trading side of things. But then we scratched our heads, wanted to come up with a new idea. And we said, well, we've been in the, you know, growth and accumulation phase. 
an operational phase. What are we going to do with all these different accounts we have, and and how do you go about figuring out what you know to do when you decide that you want a retirement paycheck? Surely there must be a lot of people that that have that question. And so we did a bunch of research and found that yes, indeed, it's a complex problem, um, made complex also by the rules and regulations, and then of course how our industry goes about selling and packaging products. So one of my partners, Paul Samuelson ran simulations and found that if you could connect things and sort of connect insurance with investment with figuring out what's your safe income threshold with you know what can you uh, be a little more risky with that you could actually save 30 percent in retirement income from taxes um, in an efficient management um, so we went out and had ernst and young review those algorithms so that we could get our first client on board. And uh, it's it's been working really well ever since. Um, I would say that after the 10 years that we've been doing this, or a little over 10 years, we've learned a few other things along the way too. We certainly, uh, I won't say we were smart enough to foresee everything at all. The trends that we sort of see are being, uh, that we see right now, we had seen even at, at the end of last year, are being accelerated by what you and I are going through with this COVID crisis. And that's the fact that the younger generation coming in wants things to be a lot more personalized. And so advisors like me are getting older and the younger folks want to communicate in a much more personal way as they are with all their retail oriented technology. Um, and they want things, even the, even the customers that we've had with advisors um, now, we've found that they really don't wanna be educated. They don't wanna know what, how does Monte Carlo work? And, uh, you know, what's a capital market assumption forward looking? They just want an answer. Like, do I have enough money? Am I safe now that the market went down and now it's coming back up? How much can I spend? And so we've been trying to bite size our technology so that it can answer specific questions wherever the demographic of that client is for that advisor. And that's probably some of the announcements you've seen, Craig. We've been doing a number of different things to improve our improve our platform and to have the platform have a wider audience. So we have a number of insurance firms that we're just delighted to have on board with the platform. Some new ones like Jackson National and, and Allianz, as well as some big wealth managers that are at scale like Morgan Stanley and Merrill Lynch. And then um, we opened up a channel direct to advisor where you see Steve a lot and we go to T3 and all the important conferences that hopefully will open up again at some point here. And the RIAs are very bright target market. They really uh, uh, dive into the details and they're very discerning and not afraid to share things with you. So I'm going to say that that's really improved our product because it's it's made us fill in some of the gaps that that we needed to. That's a long-winded way of me explaining what uh, what it is we do. It was longer than 30 seconds. I apologize. Not a problem. So let's talk about, I'm really interested in, in the story of how you founded LifeYield. So before LifeYield, you founded another tech firm. So you're a serial entrepreneur. You founded Upstream Technologies, which was more traditional portfolio, manu you know, portfolio manufacturing and trading. So after that was purchased, so, well, but back, so why did you found Upstream and what, what made you do that? Well, so Upstream was founded, um, and as many of these firms, <laughs> you start out doing one thing and then the market speaks to you. I started Upstream with the thought in mind to put portfolio management on top of trading. At the time, 
a lot of these electronic trading systems were getting popular. And to much to my surprise, being in the institutional trading side of the business at the time, you as a retail client in the early, in the late 90s could actually pay less in commission than an institutional client. It really was, it was amazing. So we thought, let's build a portfolio management system that can scale. What it ended up becoming was a UMA platform. While we could scale and manage many portfolios individually, it was really, you know, turned into an operational system that an asset manager would use and connect to sponsors. Because as part of our other conversation, many individual investors don't want to know how the inside of the watch works. They would like it to be done for them, but they'd like to trust who's doing it for them. Indeed. And then you uh, were, were fortunate enough to be to attract attention uh, from then was check free investment services, which eventually was uh, which is now Tegra 118. That's correct. Uh, and then you cashed out and, and started uh, Life Yields. That's already 12 years ago. Yes. And fortunate, yes, that, that we got into the wealth management business. So mm-hmm. shifted 15 degrees in the wealth management business, as you know has really grown a lot in our sector compared to some of the other places of sector, so to speak. Before that, you were running Lattice Trading, so which was alternative trading systems. Has that experience uh, you know, changed the way you approach the, the business? Absolutely. The way that it's changed how we approach the business, Craig, and that's a really uh, kind of a, a very insightful question I don't get asked often. Um, so everything, even with all three companies that um, I've built and been part of, we ended up wanting to have a, an answer for implementation. So even with even with Lifefield, even though we're trying to answer higher level questions like, you know, how much can I spend and how long will my money last, we still operationally will have an answer. Um, one of the new features that the system has um, in the last six months is what we call target assignment. So we can help answer an advisor answer some of those kinds of questions, but then behind the scenes we can say, here's a compliant advised model that you can put into your UMA program to satisfy the the investments for your client. You can talk to them about it if you want or not, but we're actually going to give you something that you can go, you you know, execute and implement um, after all the discussion you've had with your client, you're actually going to be able to do what you say you're going to do. So that trading um, and execution background um, has always been with me and, and several of my partners that we actually want to do what we say, you know, we want, we can do. Yeah, that that, that jumped out at me, and, and I've actually wanted to talk to you about that for a while because it it changes the way you think about uh, the business when you come, depending on where you come from. You know, some people come from the, the VC world, some people come from the RIA world, some people you, know, you come from from the business side. So coming from the trading side, I think would change the way you you approach any whether it's a, the portfolio management business or the business of uh, you know, analyzing retirement income or, or other streams or doing this time type of deep, deep thinking, it kind of changes the way you're, you approach a problem. Absolutely. With your current product, it, it, when, it, when it was announced, it seemed to me like it's such a narrow focus, like you're really just focusing on the decumulation. Did you see that as something you, you always were planning on expanding or you thought that was just something you really wanted to dive into? So we did, you're absolutely right, we did start on decumulation. One could uh, argue that that was the hardest part of the problem to solve. And so our first, when we first went into production in about mid-2009, that's what we did. We did tax-smart withdrawals for um, 
clients that were in distribution um, or close to distribution. And because it was complex, it was hard for the advisor to tell their story to say, I'm doing all these things to benefit you, Mr. Client. Um, and so in working with advisors and some of uh, and some of their clients who, who wanted to provide feedback, we started to build a second part of the system, which was really a sales tool. We called it the Illustrator at the time. Hmm. Um, but the challenge with the decumulating Illustrator is that it sort of competes a little bit with planning. Um, so mm -hmm. you've got that conflict, and we didn't really want to conflict with the planning portions of our, our clients' uh, technology base because we were really looking at things after tax and all the planning tools are, are, are pre-tax. Um, and it also told too many chapters in a story that the advisor wasn't comfortable with. So we started to break out um, components of what we had built. And that's what allowed us to create our social security tool. Again, client driven with a, a firm called Franklin Templeton, who just wanted to start with social security. Let's let the advisor build a trusted relationship by helping have absolute great filing instructions and can also talk to the client about the trade-off for waiting from full retirement to 70 and a half, which hopefully will lead to a trusted conversation about, oh, you do have enough money. Here's let's put it in these investments um, so that you can delay and get more. And we just started through the years building different components to sort of tell the chapter of the story, depending on whether de what demographic that client was in. Mm -hmm. That allowed us to do portfolio advantage, which is really the accumulation piece where we can go to a young client and say, look, if you organize your 401k or your IRA like this and your taxable account like that, you can save thousands and thousands of dollars in taxes. By the time you retire, you'll have more. Um, so we've learned to sort of really try to get a chapter solidified to answer an important question. And then one of our advisor clients can decide which chapter of the book, depending on his client, will need to hear. And it doesn't have to go away. You can build on that story uh, through time. I'd like to take a break now to talk about one of my favorite sponsors. It's the Invest in Others Foundation. The Invest in Others Foundation raises money to provide grants to foundations uh, and charities run by financial advisors. And I wanted to talk about one specific charity that was in the running for the Global Impact Award, which I was uh, fortunate enough to be on the judging panel for. This particular charity is called Be Like Brit, B-R-I-T from Worcester, Massachusetts. This charity helps out in Haiti. That's their, their area of focus as a global charity. Uh, they work with a children's home in Haiti, helping about 2,000 children uh, in some uh, pretty bad poverty in that country. They uh, have built out a lot of infrastructure in a particular town in Haiti called Grand Gove, and they are the largest employer in that town, employing over 100 people. Uh, many more indirectly, which uh, brings a lot of value to the community. They uh, have built fresh water distribution networks. They built a free health clinic. They did a lot to serve that community. And this is just one of the many uh, charities that the Invest in Others Foundation provides uh, revenue for. So if you donate to Invest in Others, it's investinothers.org. Some of your money can go to one of these many, many different charities that I talk about every week. Uh, and I think it's a, a great cause. It's investinothers.org. Yeah, notice you used the word story a number of times, helping advisors tell their stories. That's something a lot of tech firms don't see, that that's really important for marketing. 
What, yeah. what made you realize that? <laughs> I'm getting beat up by clients. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, really, and it's important to, to be humble to, to uh, just because you're interested in the algorithms and the math and the technology doesn't mean everybody is. So to reach that extra level where you want to make sure you have somebody like Steve or some of our other sales and marketing folks that want to make articulate easy um, and, and tell that story. That's, that's really how we learned to do that. It was, I would have to give credit to the marketplace and then us recognizing we needed to hire those kinds of people to go with our math and technology people. Yeah, personally, I would give credit to, to you and, and the senior team seeing that because uh, I work with a lot of other firms and who you know, like you've you and I both have uh, computer science degrees. But a lot of pe people I know who are computer science degrees or, or engineering degrees, they, they only think in that box. They think in the tech box and it's hard for them to break out into a marketing box or into a customer box, you know, a customer focus box. Yes. So I think it's it's an advantage that you and, you know, and Paul and Michael have. I guess in, in, in the success you've seen, in the serial success you've seen in, in starting and, and selling companies, you've, you've managed to, to build up that talent stack of understanding how that it's important to be able to tell your story or have it, or help your help your customers tell their stories. Yes. One thing, uh, speaking of marketing, one thing I really like, uh, the, not recent anymore, but the tax efficient score. I think they came out two years ago. Yes. I thought that was a really uh, a really good idea. Everyone does similar things, but you were the first to come out with a brand name for that bit of that bit of your system. Can you can you talk a bit about how that came about? Well, we had been doing the asset location and really trying to find a way to get advisors to want to speak about it. They'd known quite a bit about asset allocation and sometimes would get confused. The more the senior type of advisors, whether they're in the RIA channel or the wirehouse channel, did understand it and were doing it, but they could never show the benefit of doing it to their clients. So we picked folks that were clients of ours that really wanted to go back to their client base and say, hey, I've, I've told you, I've saved you 90 basis points a year on asset location, and now I can quantify the benefit. And we can show them the dollar benefit by having it with a score. It's kind of a little bit of a gamification. And people understand that if they have a low score, they might want to improve the score, kind of like the FICO score. Um, exactly. And it worked, worked well for us. In fact, Craig, we see that uh, scoring is going to be an industry trend for more than just um, it's going to be, you know, we envision there being a wealth score that can measure and score different components. Um, and that can help connect some of these different products together in sort of a, you know, smart household personalized way for each individual client that would really be interesting especially if it was really useful not just a, a number to say we got a number but if it actually could be something that would help clients in a gamified way pick up better behaviors yes in order to improve their score that sounds like and especially when, when you've got so many different uh, things that can impact a household score i mean my, even my household with I have three daughters and each one has a 529. Each one has a, you know, a Roth IRA. You know, we have rollovers and, and taxable and non-taxable. So we have we might have 15 different accounts and that makes it very complicated to, to figure out. So we need a very complicated algorithm to take all that information in. Was that something you're thinking of building? Well, we've had discussions. I can't really talk about it now, but we've had discussions, as you know, one of my 
partners, Paul Samuelson, is uh, very good in the calculus side of things, uh, influenced by his father. And uh, um, we've learned through the tax efficient score that you asked about that people, you know, automatically get it and and they want to it calls them to action to it calls them to want to have an improvement made, um, which is what you're suggesting is important. You don't want to just have a conversation and then do nothing about it. You actually want to do something about it. And then a year later say, wow, I, it, this worked. I've got an improvement. And that's where and we see the very, device industry going. Yeah, I'm sorry. So what, what I like about the tax efficient score is that you want to increase it. So it's it's a higher, it's a, it's a higher is better, which most people, it's intuitive that a, a higher score is better. You score, you know, when you're in school, you get a test, the higher number is better, which is different than a risk score. Higher isn't necessarily better in a risk score. There's no goal in a risk score. Just what is your risk tolerance? Yes. So there's no there's no real end game of, of that score. It's a useful number, but the tax vision score sounds like it's something that is an ongoing conversation advisors can have with their clients to improve their behavior. Would that be a fair statement? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. What other what other tools are you building to help them do that? So one of the things that we're doing, as we had talked about, is when we talked about the evolution of LifeYield, how we built our Illustrator function that had multiple capabilities. It could do Roth conversion, it could do Social Security, it could convert an annuity into an income stream, but really hard for the advisor to understand, really hard to explain, really hard to put together reports that really illuminated things. So as we chopped things apart and really worked on making one chapter of the story really good, like Social Security, for instance, we've we now have three or four very interesting chapters that are well understood and sold in the marketplace by a thousand advisors. What we would like to do now, ironically, is combine all those chapters you know, into a story. Maybe the ending can be told differently for each end client by the advisor, but we'd like to combine you know, the different chapters and I think we need a couple more chapters. And that's, you know, that way we can be used more broadly and it actually takes firms that are focused on different things. So Jackson National, for instance, really um, well-known, very successful insurance firm. They've got a new product out, uh, investment-only variable annuities, IOVAs, um, and they're transparent vehicles that can have investments in them, but you can, if you have the right kind of demographic, the right kind of client who really can benefit from much more um, you know, tax sheltering than they could get from having it in their IRA or 401k, you can really provide a benefit. So that's a chapter. And how else does an insurance company fit in with, say, a large scale firm like Morgan Stanley, where, yes, they might have some other client base that wants an insurance product that fit that, but they have every type of client you can ever imagine. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, connecting chapters of the book and maybe having a way to show the next best action uh, is where we're going with our technology, but it's a way to combine firms with different points of view that can all provide some benefit to a client. So you mentioned next best action. Is that because you're talking about Morgan Stanley or is that something that you're also working on? So that they, Morgan does call it next best action. Back to the discussion we had of how we view the world. You know, it's either executing a trade or filing social security instructions or deciding you want to be into an, in, in an IOVA or deciding, you know, 
I need an annuity to have more safe income above Social Security. So it's an action that will improve, uh, you know, the client's situation. And we want an answer to be in our software that will allow for that to happen. I mean, the scoring is wonderful. Telling the chapter so that the investor understands it is great. But if the advisor actually doesn't go do something, what good has been done? Exactly. If, if you haven't changed the client's behavior, if they're still doing the wrong thing, your advice is basically wasted. So they're paying you for your advice, but they're not taking it. So you can, you're yelling at them and berating them isn't really helpful. You need to find ways to nudge them to improve their behavior. Yes. And I think that sometimes, not all the times, there's some advisors that are terrific at putting together planning as part of you know their practice. But there are a number of advisors where it takes a lot of time to put together a proper plan. And then you have to know what to talk to about the client. And a year goes by and you actually haven't, you don't have a next best action after you did the plan other than that now you know more about your client's assets. And I'm, I'm sure that wasn't satisfactory for a number of investors or advisors or the firms who spent the money on the technology. Um, we found that having these simple little proposals for, like I've been saying, a chapter in a book seemed to work best. They're less confusing. Now, combining them will be a challenge for us again because we know it was complex in the past. But we like challenges, and that's what we're going to try to do. Well, you know, that's an interesting comment because, you know, this is, uh, as you've seen, you've been in the industry as, as long as I've been, that there's a constant cycle of breaking things apart, then recombining. And that's that happens in many industries. It's not just, just yeah. our industry. You know, you see it in, in, in cable and in, in media where they're breaking apart many different channels and they combine them into a package. And they keep, it's a constant cycle. So you've broken up your products into into smaller uh, you br- you've built these small you know you call them chapters you call them some people might call them widgets or or, or applications that all work together there's lots of these out there and then we're seeing in, in our business working with broker dealers banks and and other firms that they're kind of overwhelmed with apps whether it's risk apps or account opening apps or tax management apps or social security apps income management apps you know, so there's lots of different apps ta- that that they're that, so they're they're looking like their screens, their desktop of their of their computer at their work looks like their phone with a million icons. Yes. So is is that one of the reasons why you're combining things, or what was the impetus behind bringing everything together again? The impetus um, of bringing things together again is that we have more clients that seems in transition than ever before. More folks that are taking a look at retirement and even in events of this year, um, you know, some folks probably, if they're on the cusp of deciding, I'm going to take social security or I want to retire, I've I've had enough or are going to be doing that. Mm -hmm. So you have to have, (laughs) do multiple chapters when you're preparing for getting a retirement paycheck from your investments, deciding what your safe income level is. But uh, more technical answer back to some of the discussion we were having. One of the things that we've done that was different than in the past is we're, Lightfield's not going to force any of our clients to have to use our user interface. So we have our user interface where we're going to try to put together our story with our chapters, but everything we have is accessible through an API. So a large firm that wants to put their own chapters together however they want, add a few of their own in like Morgan Stanley, Mm -hmm. always use our APIs, which are highly scalable. And not every firm can afford to do that, but for those that want to, um, or even platform providers that were 
we're connecting to, like Advisor Peak and Orion, we're happy to let them use whatever part of our algorithms they want through by mm -hmm. API. So that's a good, another good point. We're seeing that uh, on the banking side, where it's banking as a service, where banking is no longer a monolithic function. It's now just a service you plug in with an API, an API being an application programming interface. Yeah. Uh, right. So it's basically tools that allow one program or one program programmatically to call functions in another program and pass data back and forth. So do you see that now that some firms might see that as disintermediating themselves, that they're now they don't have that interaction with the client, but you saw that as the opposite, that you saw it as a way to be able to bring your tools to more people. So why why did you see that? How do you avoid being disintermediated and having them just unplug your API and plug in another vendor's API? Well, absolutely, somebody can somebody can do that. But I guess philosophically, we've always wanted to be a software firm, so we haven't wanted to get registered uh, and be controlled by FINRA or the SEC. We really want to be a software firm, and we're going to let our clients do those kinds of things. And we didn't want them to feel we were competing with them for AUM or any of that stuff. You know, some of the firms that are out there have hybrid models where they might have an RIA and they're trying to raise AUM and whatnot. We we really, we're a software firm. We know what we are. We know what we're good at. And we don't really look at it as disintermediation so much as we want to get as many clients as possible to have a broad client base and those clients can do different things with our algorithms and that's fine with us. That's a good answer. So going back to something you said earlier, which I, I thought was really interesting, you said uh, that the, the trends are being accelerated with the pandemic. And one of them is the younger generation wants more personalized interactions, but they don't want to be educated. They just want the answers. Yeah. <laughs> well, but can you explain that a little more? Why, why don't they want to be educated? Is it because they don't have enough time? They're not interested or a combination of those? Well, so back to you, you had shared to me, you have three daughters, I have three kids, and uh, they uh, they learn, you know, in some ways similar to me, but in, in many ways very differently. And they have their ways of collecting their information, they have their ways of going and validating that information, whether it's with their network or, or things. Um, and, you know, they just, uh, they'll behave differently. I'm, I'm missing going out and seeing clients and going to dinner and talking, and, and I'm kind of old school when it's like that. I, I miss that but fortunately we've been around 10 years so we have really good in, uh, relationships with our clients i can't imagine starting a firm and you know and only being a year or two into it in this kind of time and i feel bad for those entrepreneurs it's going to be a bad experience potentially for some of them um so i think to answer your question it's a it's it's a way of thinking it may be some of the way that they've been taught um i think a friend of mine told me this the other day I, he said I used to say to my son, you don't have it nearly as hard as I do. He goes, after this COVID thing, I, I apologized to him and said, you know, you've, the anxiety and all the stuff that you guys have to face, you've, you've got some real challenges, too. Right. That's <laughs> the first time in, in probably 100 years where I said you've got it uh, worse than we had it. Yeah. I don't want to be negative and say we got it worse, but they certainly have a lot of challenges. And I think they'll find ways to solve problems. Uh, in a good right. way. Well, they they have a lot more tools than we had. I mean, imagine if this pandemic had happened just 10 years ago, you wouldn't have the ability to work from home, the the, the, the right. broadband access, the, the 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 sharing collaboration tools that wouldn't didn't exist back then, even even just that short 
a decade ago, or let alone 20 or 30 years ago. Right. Uh, it would have been a totally different situation, Greg. I agree. Well, Mark, uh, I really want to thank you for your time. It's very, very interesting. We didn't even get through a, a third of the stuff we wanted to talk about, but we'll save it for the next time. Well, again, thank you for having me. Really good questions. Pleasure. Great. Take care, Mark. Hey, it's Craig again. I hope you got as much out of this episode as I did. Uh, I learned a lot. I really liked hearing about Mark's history, how he got into the industry and the multiple startups before he got to Lifefield, uh, before he started Lifefield. Uh, I was interested in how they started with decumulation and worked their way out from there to tax smart withdrawals, helping advisors tell the stories. That's something you're hearing a lot from a lot of vendors where they're realizing that it's not just the technology, it's helping advisors tell their stories to their clients and, and be able to facilitate that, which helps them to grow and also helps to deliver those great services to their clients. Uh, I was interested in how they gamified uh, their business model, which helps nudge uh, clients along towards the best, uh, the best actions and the best, uh, the best uh, behaviors that helps them. And the, speaking of actions, the next best action, how they can deliver that to advisors to give them something to provide their clients with. Uh, it brings it all together uh, and provides more information for clients that are in transition than ever before. All good stuff. Uh, before I forget, please remember to subscribe and like us everywhere you go. And looking forward to hearing from people. We're getting a lot of feedback and a lot of good comments. Please keep them coming. If there's people you'd like to hear on the program, please uh, send a message my way. And look forward to talking to you all again next time.